Open with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of James. We're going to open into the book of James. And uh, today I want to talk to you about losing the weight of doubt. Losing the weight of doubt. And I want to just start reading. We'll start reading back up at verse 2 and go down through to verse 7 and read this. The Bible says this in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's a sermon in and of itself right there. Because how many of you, when the the heat gets turned up, how many of you like it? Oh, it's tough, isn't it? When life gets troublesome, all of a sudden we, we get a little long in the, you know, in the face. But... James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. There is a purpose. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, here's where we got to start and really pay close attention. If any of you lacks wisdom... Now, James is specifically talking about wisdom, but there is a principle here that we need to recognize. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. Ask God. But verse 6 says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Read that again. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. A double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Today, I believe with all my heart that we have to come to the Word of God and find a way to lose the weight of doubt. Believe it or not, it is not just a problem within those who, you know, maybe it is that they're they're finding it hard. Maybe you witness to somebody and you talk to them and they have doubts about Christianity. They don't know the Lord. They haven't come to Christ yet. You talk to them and they just can't seem to work through some of the doubts that they have in their hearts. That is absolutely understandable. But yet within the church, we find something that happens and it is this, that as believers, we begin to have doubts in our lives. And a little bit later on in this message, we're going to see a couple of individuals in Scripture who had doubts, and they had doubts at a time where you would, at least I I think most of us, if we were to put ourselves in their position and put ourselves in the presence, the physical presence of Christ, we would begin to think, how in the world could they have that kind of doubt? We're so quick to pass judgment on those in Scripture who have experienced things, and yet many times we forget that as believers, we have the presence of God with us. The Holy Spirit has been poured out in our lives, and He is here with us. We don't need to doubt either, and yet we sometimes do. Doubt becomes like a weight that you carry around. These speakers are fairly hefty. I don't know, 35 to 50 pounds maybe. They are heavy. We had a a speaker stand, this one over here, not that one, but one just like it, recently broke, the collar on it broke. And it could no longer support the weight of that speaker. It came down. And when it came down, I tried to put it back up and then realized the collar was broken, it wasn't tightening, wasn't able to to grip and to hold uh, the stand up, wasn't able to hold the speaker up. The weight just came down. And for many of us in our lives, 
Doubts are like, they are like that, that speaker that are, begin to come, come weighing down and there are things in our lives that get broken and questions that we have and certain things that invade our minds and we dwell on those things and all of a sudden we begin to feel this weight upon us like, I, I just don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can keep moving forward in my Christianity. I, don't, I just don't know what's going to happen here. Somehow, I, I, I'm not sure I can make it in the kingdom of God and, and, and trouble begins to happen and all kinds of things begin to come your way and then every now and then the enemy shows up and he begins to whisper in your ear, you know, did God really say in the word, just like he did with Adam and Eve, did God really say that? Does God really, you really think that he loves you? And all of a sudden the doubts, they begin to weigh on you. Today, can I just tell you, doubt is not of God. Now, we're going to see how God deals with doubt, how Jesus dealt with doubt, and in fact, how we are to deal with those who doubt. The Scripture even tells us and encourages us about how it is that we are to deal with others who doubt. We'll get into that in a little bit. But first, before we go any further, I want to make sure that we understand a little bit about the difference between doubt and unbelief. Did you know there's a difference? Let's just start this way. And, and I, the, the best analogy I can, I can find is uh, when I learned, first learned how to drive, my dad had uh, one of those old Volkswagen rabbits. Anybody remember the rabbit, the Volkswagen rabbit? And he had a diesel for the which he was very proud of because he could get 60 miles to the gallon with that little Volkswagen rabbit diesel. And it was not an automatic transmission. It was a stick shift. And I first learned how to drive with that little Volkswagen rabbit. And you, you put it in first gear, and you don't go very fast. You know, you, if, if, we, most people, I don't think, drive stick shifts in the city. It's just too, too absolute crazy. You, you, usually, if you drive, you probably have a car that isn't automatic because it just does all the shifting for you. You don't have to keep moving it, you know, push the clutch and, you know, move the, you know, we kind of feel like race car drivers, those of us guys who used to, you know, drive those. But, you know, in the city, it doesn't make sense because every light you have to push the clutch and apply the brake and downshift and the whole deal. But doubt is like first gear. Doubt is when you first get it into first gear, it, and it's, it's kind of moving slowly, and unbelief is like getting it into fourth or fifth gear and getting it out on the highway. Doubt is the beginning of the questions. Unbelief is the refusal to believe God's word even in the face of his track record. Let me just kind of put it to you this way. There are a number of different ways in which the word of God or the word doubt is used in the New Testament. However, the one that is most commonly used is used as to describe a weakness that stands in opposition to faith. Now, please understand, in my kind of diminishing the idea of doubt as not being as bad as unbelief, I'm not elevating it and saying doubt is okay. It's not. It's something that always stands in opposition to faith, but the word comes to mean the one that is used most commonly in the New Testament. It means to evaluate. You say, what's so wrong about that? Just wait. Consider hesitate, and waver. In other words, how many of you have trouble making decisions? Okay, thank you. Me too. You know, I mean, some of the basic things, you know, in life, it's what do you want for dinner tonight? Uh, I don't know, you know? And my wife and I usually have this discussion pretty much every morning. And we always arrive at, I don't know, not always, but occasionally. I have a tough time making a decision. What are we going to eat for dinner? I don't know. And, well, we could have this or we could have this. Uh, you know, and the idea of wavering is option one or option two, and you're not sure which one to choose. 
The idea here of wavering uh, or, or of doubting is also that of hesitation. You hesitate. You're not sure about something. And so you kind of hang back and you don't commit to it. Now you see, in the New Testament, when this was used, actually the Holy Spirit had to prod Peter, even after Peter had had in the New Testament, in the book of Acts chapter 10, we're not going to turn over there, I'm not going to read really other than one verse of Scripture in a moment, but remember Peter was up on the rooftop of a man named Simon in the city of Joppa. And there the Holy Spirit gave him a vision. It was a vision of all kinds of unclean animals that were unclean according to the law of Moses. And all of a sudden, Peter hears this voice. Peter, get up, kill those animals and eat them. What? But Lord, I'm not supposed to. I, according to the law of Moses, I'm a good Jewish man. I, I'm not supposed to eat these particular things. A couple of times it happened. Kill and eat, Peter. He's like, but Lord, this, is, this isn't right. He said, Peter... What I have declared clean, don't call unclean. He says, Peter, under the new covenant now, there's something different that's happening in my kingdom. And he said that, and then he says this in verse 20. He says, there are, just before verse 20, there are going to be some men who are coming from another city from the house of Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was a Gentile. And during that time, Jews and Gentiles did not mix. There was an element here that was, it just was one of those things where he said, well, I, I, I can't do this. And God was preparing him with this vision to go to a Gentile's home. He said there are going to be some men at the door, and listen to what he says to him. He says in verse 20 of Acts chapter 10, he says, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. The idea of hesitation is a doubt. That you hesitate to do what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. And so often it comes to a place in our lives where God is maybe placing his hand upon us to do something for the kingdom, and yet we hesitate because we think, well, I'm, I'm doubting whether or not I can do that. I doubt whether or not I can actually be effective. You know, some of us actually stay away from things in ministry that we ought to be doing in the house of God and in the kingdom of God because we have doubts about our ability. If you have doubts about your ability, folks, you need to have looked back. I wish I could just open it up for you just for a minute in my life and see a little bit of what I used to be like as a youngster. Terribly shy. Absolutely horribly like to the point of, please, teacher, do not call on me for anything. Even if I knew the right answer, I didn't want the teacher to call on me in school. I didn't, the idea of getting up in front of people and talking to people and preaching and doing all of that, I thought there is no way in the world I can do that. And you know what, in my own strength, I can't do it. In my own power, I can't do it. Brothers and sisters, you need to know that when God is calling you to do something, don't hesitate because you think that somehow you can't do it, that somehow you don't have what it takes. You need to recognize today that it is the power of Almighty God that will flow through you that gives you the, 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 the strength and the ability and the, the know-how of what it is that you're supposed to do for the kingdom. Don't think for a minute, well, I, you know, that somebody more qualified is going to have to do that. God is the one who qualifies you. God is the one who trains you. God is the one who is going to give you the power and the ability to do it. So he had to tell Peter, Peter, don't hesitate. It is the same word that is used in other places in Scripture, which we translate or we have come to learn is doubt. In other words, Peter, don't doubt what it is that they are proposing for you to do, I have sent them. Now what God did right there was he took an immediate thing that could potentially happen in Peter's mind and he said, I want to squash it right now and I'm going to change that whole thing and I'm going to put my word in front of you and my will in front of you and I'm going to trump what it is that you begin to think in your own mind. The word, brothers and sisters, always trumps doubt. There is a hesitation, a pause, a wavering. 
God says, has no part in my economy, no part in the kingdom, no part in what it is that I want you to do. Do not doubt. We evaluate. We're going to see a little bit later on how somebody evaluated pretty much in the wrong position. He evaluated the wrong thing. We'll get to that in a moment. But unbelief is like fifth gear. It's like when, the, you know, you get out on the highway in your car, even in an automatic, you feel that shifting of the transmission and your car is going faster and it's faster. You see, unbelief is a lack of faith that often has the implication of stubbornly refusing to believe or to act in accord with God's will or law. Let me say that again. Unbelief is a lack of faith often with the implication of stubbornly refusing to believe or act in accord with God's will or law. It is when the people of Israel, you know, they hit first gear on the other side of the Red Sea. Doubts begin to swell. They just saw the Egyptians drown, you know, in the Red Sea. They get on the other side, and all of a sudden now, they're standing there, and they're looking around. They had just celebrated. They'd been so happy. They had church. You know, they sang in the name of Jesus. We have the victory, and they, woo, they had a great time. But then all of a sudden, the service ended. They went back to their tents. They looked around and said, uh, this is not quite like the same place that we were living in. You see, when, when Jacob took his family to Egypt to live there with Joseph, the Bible says at that point, Pharaoh had given them the land of Goshen. It was a land that, that would sustain all of their livestock, all of their crops, all of the things that they needed. It was a place that was fertile. It had food for them. But now they're standing on the other side of the Red Sea, and all of a sudden now first gear is hitting and doubts are settling and questions are happening. And all, they're not quite sure what to make of it. And they're saying, wait a minute, we're in a desert here. This is not like where we had, you know, the green grass right near the Nile and, and it was that, that full lush vegetation. No, 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 this is, this is something quite drastic and different. What are we going to eat? Where are we going to find food? Where are we going to find water? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to end up? How are we going to get there? How long is it going to take? And all of a sudden, the questions begin to swirl. Now, mind you, they just saw God open the Red Sea. You know, imagine we've got the wall of water over here, wall of water over here, and they're walking through. And they say, hey, look at that fishy. Look over there. You know, and they're walking through this Red Sea, but then the Red Sea closes and the pews come together. And the Red Sea closes and the, the Pharaoh's army drowns. They get on the other side, but they forget about that. And now they're, they're doubting. But then they take it a little bit further and the Bible lets us know that in spite of what God has said, in spite of what God has done, they began throughout their time in the desert, they began to act contrary to the word of God. The word of God was, I'm going to bring you out and bring you to a land that I'm going to show you, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to bring you into the place that I promised your father Abraham that I was going to give to him when I made him a great nation. Now there are a great nation and in spite of what they see in the word of God they began to say we want to go back to Egypt think about that for a minute they God had promised to them I'm going to bring you out so now doubt if it goes un, unrepented of if it if it's not handled the way it ought to be handled it gives birth to unbelief and unbelief goes absolutely against, it is stubbornly refusing to believe or act in accord with God's will or His law. It's going against Him. It's refusing to go, to go with God and to be with God and to do what God wants you to do. And it just brings you to a place where you stubbornly refuse it. It's, it's like the person, you know, that you show, hey, look, right here, 
Here's your bank statement. It says you have a million dollars. No, but can you spare some change? No, but you have money in your bank account. No, 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 that's, that's, not, that's not right. I, I don't believe it. I can't believe it. Uh, please, I, I, give me a, you know, I'm going to go beg for, for money. Why would you go beg when you, have, when you have everything that you need? Well, a million bucks doesn't get you much these days anymore anyway. But you've got everything you need. Why are you going to go beg? I, I refuse that. That's not, why? It's silly. You see, the Word of God shows us great and many promises that God has said. And yet so many of us, we doubt to the point where we stubbornly refuse to obey what the Word says. The Bible says about the people of Israel that they didn't enter into that place of rest, that generation, that first generation. They didn't enter in because of unbelief. Brothers and sisters, you might have doubts today. We're going to find out what the Word of God and how it is that God handles doubt and how it is that we're to handle it. But today, you need to know you need to lose the doubt. You need to lose that weight because if you don't lose that weight, the danger is it gives birth to unbelief. And unbelief is an absolute stubborn kind of attitude. It is a rebellion against God. It is going against what the Word of God says doing your own thing, having your own way, thinking that somehow in the middle of your life, you're just going to do it your way because God has just somehow, he's, he's missed the boat with you. You see, do not allow doubts to enter in so unbelief doesn't have to come. Now, why is it so important for us to lose the doubt and lose the weight of doubt? Well, the first reason is this. Doubt hinders you from experiencing the miraculous. Turn over in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter 14. Doubt hinders you from experiencing the miraculous. We've got to lose the weight of doubt because there are things that God wants us to experience in our lives that will be absolutely miraculous. Listen to what it says. This is the passage of Scripture. We're going to get, read a little bit more of it a little bit later on in, in Matthew chapter 14 where Peter was, Jesus was walking on the water and asked Peter, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, go for it, man. Come on. But listen to verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Wait a minute, Peter was walking on the water. He was already out there. In fact, verse, chapter 14, verse 31, the Bible says, and immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He was close enough to Jesus, he didn't have to sink. You know that? He was close enough, he didn't have to sink. In fact, I don't know how far Jesus was from the boat. We don't really know that. The Bible doesn't tell us. But there was seemingly enough time for Peter to begin to remember what doubt means according to the original language that the Bible was written in. It, it has the idea of evaluating, right? All of a sudden, Peter's evaluating the wrong thing. Peter had evaluated, if that's Jesus, then I can walk on water. I'm going to go to Jesus. Jesus said, come on. Go for it. And Peter steps out of the boat and he's walking on water. He had evaluated the fact that it was the miraculous Son of God who was going to help him experience the miraculous. And he's out there experiencing it. And then all of a sudden, boom, comes to an end. Why? Here it is. Immediately reached out his hand. Caught him. You, this is Jesus talking, you of little faith, he said. Why? Did you doubt? Why did you start to evaluate the flesh and the fleshly things around you? Why did you start to consider the waves, the wind? Why did you start to consider what was actually happening here was not according to the flesh, according to the, you know, the laws of physics and all of those things, according to those earthly laws. Why are you evaluating those things? Why are you sitting there, no, that, that, that can't happen. And, well, then it didn't. Because he began to doubt 
what it was that he was doing was actually right. And brothers and sisters, it was Jesus who told him to come to him. Jesus is already out on the water, not in the water, on the water. And he's saying, come on. And Peter's out there and he's walking and all of a sudden the questions hit. All of a sudden the doubts, the hesitation, the wavering, all of a sudden it comes to his heart and his mind and it hinders him from experiencing the miraculous in a greater way. Wouldn't it be a great story if Peter, you know, he ends up with Jesus and, hey Jesus, how are you? Let's walk back to the boat. Well, they went back to the boat. We'll have the questions after the service. We'll have the questions after the service. Peter gets back to the boat, and the Bible lets us know he gets in. Jesus says, you of little doubt, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that we begin to evaluate what it is that's going on around us, and we don't, we don't have the Word of God close to our hearts. We begin to think according to the flesh. Think according to what it is in our lives is going on and we think that's our reality. We need to come to the place where the word of God becomes more and more the reality of our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in us. Now, it's so important for us to lose the weight of doubt because doubt hinders you from receiving answers to prayer. Let's go back to the book of James. We already read in the book of James. Let's go back to James 1 and verse 6. James 1 and verse 6. The Bible says this. But when he asks, that is the one who's praying, the one who is asking God, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Now, I want you to see something's happening. This guy's praying. He's praying. Wait a minute. It's important to pray. Yes, absolutely. But it's more important to pray in faith. You can pray, but still not have hope in your heart. That one, the Bible says, should not think that they'll receive anything from the Lord. You mean I can actually pray and go through the process of praying to God and God's not going to do anything? The Bible says and seems to indicate here that if you pray without faith, you can expect nothing. Zero. At this point, I might add, then why are you praying? you got to pray in faith. All of us, we have to be challenged in this, that when it comes time to asking God, for asking God for whatever it is that we need in our lives, that we don't come to God with a hope-so attitude. That we come to God with a God, I'm going to lay claim to your word attitude. An attitude that says, Lord, you said it, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to lay hold of it for my life, and I'm going to pray and believe for the impossible. You see, doubt hinders you from receiving answers to prayer because it's possible to pray without hope. It's possible to pray without faith. We've got to pray in faith, brothers and sisters. And many of us are looking at the impossibility in the back of our minds. Oh, God, please, please do this. Lord, please touch these people. Lord, you know my son or daughter is away from you and they're just out in sin, and they're doing their own thing. In the back of your mind, you're thinking, it ain't never going to happen. They're so far gone. No. We have to believe that the Holy Spirit can go to where the enemy is. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. In other words, the Holy Spirit is more powerful and bigger than the sin that they find themselves involved in. God can get through and squeak through where there is nothing but darkness. He can break through with the light of the Holy Spirit, but we have to pray in faith. Doubt hinders you from receiving answers to prayer. Not only that, doubt deceives you into thinking that you can perform spiritual activity without faith being involved. I've already commented on this a little bit, and it is this, that you can actually be involved in spiritual things without there being faith. That's happening all over this country this morning. On a Sunday morning, there are many, many people crowding into churches. 
packing into churches, and they are involved in spiritual activity, but there is no faith. They are involved with the spiritual act or this, this kind of an act that says, well, I go to church. Great. Because right next to you, the enemy might be sitting there saying, yeah, I go to church too. I'm in church right next to you. Just don't believe anything you're hearing today. You know, don't believe anything that the, the Bible says. Don't, don't believe that you should enter in and worship. Don't believe any of that. And so we get involved in spiritual activity. It's the same idea with, with praying with no faith. We are deceived into thinking it's all about the praying. It's praying with faith, brothers and sisters. Praying and believing. God always responds to faith. In the Word of God, He does not respond to doubt in a favorable, answering kind of manner. He responds to those who pray and believe. And brothers and sisters, I realize, you say, but wait a minute, this is blind faith. No, it's not. What you read in the Word of God gives you a full picture of what it is that you can expect. God says, these are my promises. Start believing my track record. Start believing what it is that I've done. Believe the word of God. This isn't blind faith, folks. This is God showing up and saying, I've got a track record here. Start believing and trusting when you come to me. When you come into the house of God and we come into church, it's not about being in church. It's about, it's about praising and worshiping and, 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 and having faith as we do it. Some of us don't reach out to God anymore. We, we, the enemy is starting to silence our praise a little bit because there is a part of us that says, ah, it doesn't do any good anyway. You know, I walk out, I got the same trouble, got the same problems, got the same ailments, got the same sicknesses. I got the same thing going on in my life. And yet I believe that more and more as we begin to praise and worship in faith, as we begin to come to him with hearts that, that believe, it's like the little woman who pushed through the crowd and just reached out and touched the hem of his garment. She did it in faith, saying, if I can just touch a little piece of his glory, something's going to change and be made different. Doubt, we got to lose the weight of doubt because ultimately it leads you into direct rebellion and refusal to obey the word of God. I've already talked about this in the first part of this message. Is that doubt is, it, it comes, the questions swirl, but then if you don't bring it to the Lord and you don't come to him with it, then it gives way to a spiritual rebellion against God. It is, I, I can't trust God. I can't believe in Him. And essentially what you're doing is you're calling Him a liar. You're saying, God, you, you, your word isn't true. What you've done in my life, it isn't true. There is a rebellion that occurs in our lives. We essentially go against God. Doubt ultimately leads you into direct rebellion and refusal to obey the word of God. Now, what I want to do is in the closing moments of this meeting today, I want to show you some examples of those who doubted and how it was that Jesus dealt with them, two, two, at least two people. I know a lot of times we talk about doubting Thomas. Actually, the Bible doesn't say he doubted. It says he, he wouldn't believe. There were those who were around him. He just refused until Jesus showed up. And even Jesus at that moment when he encountered Thomas, he dealt with him in mercy. And in grace, he said, Thomas, touch, touch the nail prints in my hands. Go ahead. Just touch my side where the, you know, the, the sword or the spear was, was pierced, pierced my body. Go ahead. See the wounds. They're, they're, it's me here talking to you. He dealt with him in mercy. But I want you to go to Matthew chapter 14. Go back over there. Matthew 14. And the Bible says this. Matthew 14 and verse 23 down through to verse 31. The Bible says this, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray, that is Jesus. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind, because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Where the, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. 
But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, I tell, uh, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? I want you to see, first of all, what Jesus does with Peter here. First of all, Jesus rescues him. He reaches out his hand to him. Peter had doubts all of a sudden that invaded his mind. Jesus knew, that, knew this, even though Peter didn't say, Jesus, I'm not supposed to be walking on water now. He didn't say that. He just started to sing. Jesus knew what took place. You always start to sink when doubt comes on because it's a weight. You always start to sink when doubt comes. But the thing that Jesus does is he reaches out to him. Can I tell you, you might have doubts. You might have questions in your mind. You might have things going on in your life today. And the point of this message is not for you to feel condemned. The point of you is to reach out to Jesus because he'll reach out to you. He'll rescue you from your doubt. He'll rescue you from all your questioning and all the things that you begin to say. But I want you to also notice that Jesus does not commend Peter for his doubt. He doesn't come up on, on, on the side of him and say, Oh, Peter, I understand. You know, oh, shucks, Peter. He doesn't do that. He said, Why'd you doubt? You know what Jesus was saying to him, Peter? When I'm standing right here, why do you doubt that what I have told you to do, you can actually do? I'm right here. Brothers and sisters, we need to recognize the presence of God. When we come into the house of the Lord, we come into the presence of the Lord, we need to recognize His message to us is, I'm right here. He's not far from you. He's not far away. It's not like, you know, this picture that you often see sometimes in movies or television where, where the person's running and then all of a sudden it seems like they're further away. And they keep running and it looks like they're getting closer, but then all of a sudden a shot of the camera happens and they're still further away. Like they're, they're running closer, what seems to be closer, but, you know, they're pulling back. It's almost as if, you know, you know I, I don't think Jesus did that kind of thing where he's, he backpedaled. Come on, Peter. Come on. Keep coming. He didn't play a game with him. He doesn't toy with us. No, brothers and sisters, the important thing for us to recognize in this is Jesus said, why did you doubt? The question comes to my heart as well. Why do I doubt when he's right here? Turn over to Matthew 11. Just a few pages back. Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And I want you to see John the Baptist. Of all the people in Scripture, John was, was a, an earthly cousin of Jesus. They were relatives. And in fact, John was an individual who, the Bible lets us know, came on the scene out of a... It was prophesied in the Old Testament about this particular individual who would come to prepare the way of the Lord. John was a prophet. He was somebody who challenged the religious leaders of the day that their, their religion had gotten cold and lifeless. There was no life in it, and he told them to come in repentance. But then Jesus came on the scene, and Peter said, I mean, uh, John the Baptist said some amazing things about Jesus. On one occasion, he said, you know, there's, there's one who's coming after me whose, whose shoes, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. On another occasion, he looked out, saw Jesus, said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus shows up one day when John is baptizing in the Jordan, and he says, John, I want you to baptize me. Oh, no, Lord. I can't baptize you. You're, you're the son of God. You're, you're Jesus. You baptize me. No, I want you to baptize me. As soon as Jesus comes up out of the water, there is an audible voice from heaven 
This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Those present, including John the Baptist, heard that voice. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, descended upon Jesus and lit on him like a dove. They all saw this. They all experienced it. John experienced it. But then a little bit later on in John's life, he experiences something else. He experiences, no longer is he out ministering, he finds himself in prison. He had called uh, one king on the carpet for his, his incestuous marriage. He had, he had angered somebody so badly, put him in prison. And now, we pick up at verse 1 of Matthew 11. The Bible says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Verse 2 says, when John, that is John the Baptist, heard in prison what Christ. Now, it's very significant that in verse 1, Matthew refers to Jesus by the name given to him by his parents. Jesus, meaning Savior. But in verse 2, refers to him by his title, not given to him by his parents, but given to him by God, by the Father. He is the Messiah, the Christ, meaning the Messiah. When he heard in prison what Christ or the Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, now here's the question, here's the doubt. Are you the one who has who was to come, according to the Old Testament, according to the law, the prophets, or should we expect someone else? What's happening here? This is John the Baptist who heard, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He, you know, he baptized Jesus. This is the one who said, behold the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. Said he must, you know, increase and I must decrease. Said all these wonderful things about him. Now he's sending a message to Jesus. Are you the one that we should be looking for? Or should we be expecting somebody else? Doubt begins to happen even in John the Baptist. But I want you to see what Jesus does with his doubt. For those of us who think, well, I'm not going to doubt ever, then you're going to cease to exist probably. Because sooner or later, somewhere along the line, you're going to have a doubt that's going to come through. The Bible says this. In verse 4, Jesus replied, that is to his disciples, John's disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. In other words, it seems that John the Baptist, verse 2, refers to, Matthew refers to Jesus as the Christ. Many people thought that the Messiah was going to have an earthly kingdom. And that might have been that John the Baptist was no different from any of the others. And he looks around and he doesn't see Jesus taking out the Romans. The Romans were in charge. They were ruling in the land. He doesn't see Jesus amassing an army to wipe the Roman rule away. In fact, he sees something quite the opposite. He's struggling with this. He has doubts in his mind. But I want you to see, brothers and sisters, it's vitally important that what Jesus tells him, we have to focus on as well. It isn't going to happen. I, you know you know me. I get, I get annoyed with politics and politics in the church. When all kinds of candidates parade through pulpits in the city, I think, God help us. What should be happening behind the pulpit is the message of the gospel being preached, that we begin to see people saved come into the kingdom. This isn't about this earthly kingdom. This is about a heavenly kingdom. And what Jesus is saying, I want you to see, there is a kingdom that is not of this world that is being established right now. The blind see, the lame walk, the good news of the gospel is being preached. Brothers and sisters, that's what changes lives. And he sends that message back to John the Baptist. And I got to believe that John said, enough said. I believe it. It was going to be long after that when John the Baptist was going to meet with his end. But you know what, brothers and sisters, there is something vitally important, and it is this. The question is, how do we get rid of the weight of doubt? And it's this. We've got to do what Peter and John the Baptist did. Peter, the Bible says, cried out to Jesus. 
He took his doubt to Jesus. John the Baptist did the same. He sent word to Jesus with his doubting question. Look, you can come to me with your doubts, and I got to tell you, the most I can do is point you to Jesus. You can say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this. And, you know, sometimes we like to talk. We want to talk it out. But you know what? In the end, the only thing that I can do for you is point you to Jesus. I, I can't change your doubts. I can't, I, can't, I can't come inside your head and fix the problem. I can't, I, the only thing I can do is point you to Jesus. And this is what these two guys did. Peter didn't cry out, look back at the boat, and say, guys, throw out the lifesaver. Come on, quick, get the donut out here. Get it around me. Help me. Get me out of the water. He went to Jesus. you got to know that there are going to be people in your lives who are going to claim to have the answer. They don't have the answer. The only one who has the answer is Jesus. Go to him with your doubts. Go to him with your struggles. Bring your fears to him. Bring your doubts and your struggles to him. I want you to know that he's not going to cast you out. Now, he's going to say to you, why did you doubt? Because he says, I'm right here. You don't have to doubt. But he doesn't cast you away. He doesn't push you to one side. In fact, same thing with John the Baptist. He didn't ignore John's request. He didn't ignore John's question. He just told his disciples, I want you to go back and tell them what it is that you're hearing and seeing in the Word. He was the Word become flesh. So go tell them what it is that the Word made flesh is, is acting out, is doing in front of everybody's eyes. Go back and show them what it is that God is going to do and what it is that God is already doing in this place. You see, we get rid of it by bringing it to Jesus. That's how you get rid of it. But not only that, you need to know the Bible tells us how it is that we are to deal with others. And that is in Jude 22, the Bible says, be merciful to those who doubt. You know, somebody comes to you and says, I'm struggling, I have some doubts. You need to know that this is a place that you can be safe because there isn't going to be anybody around you that's going to smack you on the head and say, what's the matter with you? No, no, no. The Bible tells us as believers to be merciful with those who doubt. Don't get annoyed. Don't get bothered. Don't allow that struggle within your own mind to just push them aside, cast them aside, because Jesus didn't do that with the doubters that we find in Scripture. But not only this, we have to follow the faith of Abraham. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20, turn there, and we're going to end with this verse of Scripture. Romans 4 and verse 20. I want you to see this. Remember, one of the definitions of the word doubt in the Bible is that of wavering. But I want you to see what Abraham did. The Bible says, Romans chapter 4, verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. When you elevate the word of God above your doubt or your wavering, when you elevate the word and trust in the word rather than what you see, when you begin to believe in what God has said in his word, there is going to be something that's going to happen on the inside of you, and it's going to be a strengthening in your heart and in your life. You're going to begin to lose the weight of doubt. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes this morning? There might be those of you in this building today who came in and maybe it is that your situations, your problems, your difficulties are such that you say, I don't know, I'm finding it hard to lose the weight of doubt. I want you to know that you came to the right place today. You came into the presence of the Lord. Jesus said this, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, that is weighed down, and I'll give you rest. God is not interested in you staying the way that you are. He's not interested in allowing you to just carry around this weight. No, 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 he wants you to lose the weight. He wants you to be the biggest loser and unload this weight of doubt. Maybe it is that in your life there are some doubts. I don't need to know what they are. 
But today, if you're here and you know in your heart and in your mind there's been these struggles, these doubts that have come from time to time, and today you recognize, i got to bring it to Jesus. Now I want you to do something right now. Just stand to your feet. Nobody's going to look around and judge, but just stand to your feet. Come on. You're struggling in some way with doubt. I want you to stand up. Nobody's condemning. In fact, we're going to keep our eyes closed right now. Just stand to your feet, and we're going to pray, and we're going to believe the Lord is going to reach out and and rescue us. We're going to be like Peter today, saying, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Save me from this situation. Save me from my doubts. Save me from those things that can lead to an outright unbelieving rebellion against you. Save me today. Let's pray right now in the name of Jesus. Father, today I pray for your people that you would strengthen them and help them today, O oh God, in what it is that they're going through and dealing with. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would have your way, that you would strengthen their hearts and their minds. Whatever it is that they feel in their heart that there is doubt that has come in, I pray today that you would save us from it, that you would rescue us from it. Lord, we're going to bring it to you. We're going to bring our doubts and our questions to you, O oh God. And Lord God, today, We're going to find somebody who will not cast us aside. Lord, you won't push us away. You won't say, you won't say to us, just get out of my presence. I got to have somebody that has greater faith. But Lord, you deal with us in mercy. You challenge our doubts, and yet you deal with us in such mercy and such grace. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your people that they would be men and women of faith. They would be men and women who would reach out and take hold of you. And Lord God, we're going to give you the praise in the wonderful, mighty name of Jesus. I want everybody to stand right now. Everybody together. Let's just stand together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your people that you would strengthen us, Lord. Maybe it is that today we didn't walk in with specific doubts. But God, somewhere along the way, there's going to be a questioning that's going to occur. And God, I pray that you would help us to do what is right, oh God. And may we run to you in every situation, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, we desire, oh God, never, ever to question your word, to call you into question, to judge you and your word as being unstable or not being right. But God, we want to judge you as being the one who has it all under control. Father, we thank you today. I thank you for your people. Pray that you would strengthen them, touch them, O God, and encourage their hearts, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we're going to lose the weight of doubt, not because we choose to, but because your word gives us a way out, a way to be able to lose it. We don't want to carry the weight around anymore. In the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Before you leave today, I want to encourage you, those of you who are able to stay afterwards and go downstairs to uh, pray for those who are persecuted for their faith. Julian will be leading the group today. Just go down and there are some things that I think will be important, those who are able to do that. But let's just turn right now and just greet each other before we go. God bless you.